Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. And um, if you are visiting, we are glad that you are here. We've been uh, doing a series on following in his steps. And this morning, we come to following in his steps on up to the mountaintop. So uh, I only saw a few of you with your boots on, your hiking boots on. And uh, that's the idea behind our time this morning. And I tell you, some of the most beautiful scenery that you can see is real close to home here. Uh, some of the mountains that we enjoy seeing the scenery of, uh, God's amazing creation. Um, in driving from California to Minnesota, being able to see the mountains, uh, whether it's in Colorado or in Montana, amazing scenery. And um, just enjoying the, the drive from uh, Bishop to Southern California on the eastern slopes of the Sierra Nevadas. Gorgeous country. So it's with that in mind, um, we can relate to mountaintop experiences, all right? And I think of Peter, James, and John and, and their little mountaintop excursion. They got to go up to be with Jesus at the Mountain of Transfiguration. And it was there that Woody Swenson would have said with Peter, why don't we just pitch tents up here and stick around? Isn't this great? This is so cool. And so, yeah, I, I would have been just like Peter in it. And I don't, maybe you would have been like that too and, and said, this is, this is too good to pass up. Let's stay here. But that was not to be. And you would have figured that at that moment, Jesus would have said, because what, what did he do at the Mount of Transfiguration? He revealed his glory. There he is in his glory. And you would have figured, okay, at least let's then go down the mountain and let's take Jerusalem and let's set up the kingdom. And His glory will be revealed for all to see, right? See, that's our mentality. That's our kind of, uh, that's our mindset when it comes to Jesus setting up His kingdom. And that's what many of His disciples wanted to see also. Let's just take Rome. Let's just do it. You can do it, Lord. That's why Peter was saying, I'll, I'll die for you, Lord. And some of the folks, you know, figure that Peter was the one that pulled out his little sword and tried to chop off the, well, did chop off the ear of Malchus there at the garden scene. And you've heard, if you haven't heard it, just believe it. This is what we understand. He wasn't aiming for his ear. <laughs> he didn't pull it out and say, oh, I think I'll cut your ear off. He was aiming for his head. See, this idea of Christ setting up His kingdom and revealing His glory, saying He's the King, He's the Messiah. 
you know, they could have done it right after, right after he, you know, received all the hosannas. Hosanna in the highest as he entered Jerusalem. It could have happened there. But where, in all this time, even since the, the wedding at Cana, he kept telling people, my time has not yet come. My time's not yet come. And it could have happened there at Mount Trans- the Mount of Transfiguration. It could have happened there in Jerusalem amidst all the, all the praises unto his name. It didn't happen there. And finally, turn to John chapter 12. We see where it starts happening. John chapter 12. And so we're going to see here this morning, really, what's re- what was required to get up to this uh, glorious spot of, of Christ's ministry. The mountaintop experience, if you will. What was required of it? We're going to see three things from Jesus' life that really come back to you and I as believers about how we ought to uh, approach this whole idea of sharing in, you know, if you, if you can say it this way, of sharing in His glory. We want to see that glory. We want to see His glory revealed in that sense. And so in John chapter 12, starting at verse 20, follow along with me, please. John 12, verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These therefore came to Philip who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip came and they told Jesus. Now you would think that Jesus would respond more directly to them, but he doesn't really respond directly to the the visiting Greeks. But he says this. He answered them saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. There's there's an epiphany, if you will, for the disciples. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. What did you just say? (laughs) The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The moment has come. Okay? And then you can just note it if you want to. In the very next chapter, John chapter 13 at verse 32. No, I'm sorry. John 13. Yeah, it's verse 31 and 32 where he goes from saying the hour has come to now he says, now is the Son of Man glorified. And so our whole perception, our expectation of when and how he's going to be glorified is kind of like, at first seems kind of like a dud. What? I mean, it took these Greeks to come and for you to say this, and, and we've been pushing for it all this time. What's, what gives here? And how come he says it in John 13? After, you know, our treasurer, you know, heads out for some, some task or some responsibility he needs to go do. The disciples didn't understand it, but Judas had gone off to what? Betray him. And that's when Jesus said, 
now is the Son of Man glorified. Okay? So this is kind of the setup. And this is our, our first point, that there's no greater purpose in his life. There is no greater purpose than to follow the Father's will, which means to glorify God. And how is he best going to glorify God? To set up a kingdom on, uh, on the top of the mountain and have everyone come to him? Or to receive all the praises and because of all the miracles and, whoa, look at what Jesus did and everyone rushed to him. Is that how he's going to set up his kingdom? That's what you and I want. That's what we would think. And after all, it's no cost to us. He's doing all the work. Isn't that great? Look at Jesus. Wow, look at what he did. Let's go. Come on. Isn't this cool? That's the mindset behind it. And we got to be careful because this mindset that he's going on, his agenda is what is expected of his children to follow along in these kind of ways. So this idea of, you know, what's really going on, it's about his purpose and that, that there's no greater purpose, meaning it's about glorifying God. That, that's the top of being in his will. That's at the top. There's nothing greater than that. And that's why Jesus did not, listen, that's why Jesus did not flinch at all at the time of temptation. He didn't even flinch at it. That's why he didn't even go with when the crowd said, hey, let's make him king. He didn't even go there either. That wasn't the Father's will. And how best is, is God going to be glorified? Okay? So there's no greater purpose, all right, than to glorify God. This is his greatest work. There's nothing better than this work that he's going to do. There is nothing higher, nothing greater for Christ to accomplish. So when Judas, in John chapter 13, when Judas took off after they had the, the supper, just that sweet fellowship, there, after Jesus had washed their feet, I hope this sinks in. After what Jesus did there in the upper room, then Judas left. And now, now, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then off they walked onto the garden. And we believe it. We can't say for certain, but we believe as they walked. You know, here's some vines, grapevines that they're passing by. And John 15, you, you, you think of John 15 as they proceed to the garden. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm the vine. You're the branch. You can't abide on your own. You, you must abide in me. And they're passing along. Here are these vineyards that they're passing along to get to the garden. And they go to the garden. And then it all comes apart. As we think, it all comes apart. But you know what? God's sovereign. Jesus went there. And he willingly gave himself up. He stopped the uh, uh, potential rebellion and said, don't do that. Right there, he healed Malchus's ear. 
He healed it right there on the spot in the garden. And it's like no one caught that. What gives? They've got their focus elsewhere. And off he goes. Well, he lays it all out here in John chapter 12 in a, in a very brief, succinct way. We just read, here's, this, here's no greater purpose than what we see, that the Son of Man will be glorified. And then go to the very next verse. Verse 24. And here is where we see point number two, no greater sacrifice. No greater sacrifice. Point number two is verse 24, where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, stop. Truly, truly, he's saying to you, you better listen to this. It's like a Hebra- uh, Hebraism there uh, that they say a lot of times. The teachers in the synagogue saying this a lot of times. You better get this. Truly, truly, I say to you, and he just uses a, an illustration from nature that's very true. It, it is true. Period. It's true in nature. And Jesus uses it for himself and for those who would follow. In verse 24, he says, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And there's the principle, farmers, right? You got it. There's the principle that you're working with each year. (laughs) He says, it's a grain of wheat that falls into the earth and it dies. And then it brings forth much fruit. And that's the very principle he's using for himself. This is how God will be glorified. Okay? It's his greatest work because it's, it's what it's going to bring forth. It'll bring forth much fruit. And if you're a Christian, if you love Jesus Christ, you're a part of the harvest. You're a part of the fruit that's come forth. S- some 2,000 years, the vine keeps growing. <laughs> Isn't that sweet? And that's good that more people would come to know Christ by faith, and that therefore come forth with spiritual life, real life, new life in Christ. So he says, if it remains by itself alone, if you just take that little seed or a grain of wheat and put it up on the countertop, you can leave it there for 50 years, guess what? It's going to be there left alone and nothing will happen. It, sin. That's, that's it. If it dies, it's going to bear much fruit. If it dies, right? So he's pointing in this point number two of no greater sacrifice. He's pointing to his sacrificial death, what it will accomplish. And it will have great results because there, it's not just a, a cool thing that he gave his life, but there's results and part of the results are in, in your life, Christian, in your life, that sin is being disconnected. That sin is no longer in control of your life. There's great result. That you keep on recognizing that you 
move in that direction, away from sin and to the Savior. Okay? So there's much fruit and there's great results. So his being glorified is when he, as the seed, <clears throat> falls into the earth and dies. Okay? And when he goes to the cross, then he is most glorified. All right? And he said, if the Son of Man is lifted up, he will what? He will draw all people to himself when he's lifted up. And he had to be lifted up on the cross. That's how it had to happen. And remember what Satan wanted to offer him? Hey, I'll just offer you the, the kingdoms of this world. But it couldn't be that way. It had to be by a sacrificial death. Let me share this. Uh, here's some practical things for you for this week, folks. You love the Lord Jesus Christ. You trust in Him. Then this week, draw your... Listen, draw your thoughts... Remind yourself over this week of Jesus going to the cross. Purposefully remind yourself of how they mocked Him. Do something this week to remind yourself of how they beat Him. Remind yourself of how they scourged Him. Those are two different things. They beat Him. They punched him, but then they scourged him. And that scourging, that in itself was good enough to leave him die. But it didn't stop there. Beyond the scourging, then they crowned him with the thorn of crowns and put that robe on him, mocking him again and taking him off to bear his own cross until he could bear it no more. And he walked on up to Calvary where he was stripped and where he was nailed onto the cross with basically, we call them nails, but they were spikes. You remind yourself of that, Christian. And then he was raised up before all the passers-by to be able to see it. And by the way, you know, there's, there are two different sites, quote-unquote, for the, the crucifixion site in Jerusalem. One is more of the, the, the one that is believed to be the, the Catholic, um, uh, traditional Catholic site. The other one is uh, Gordon's Calvary. And to go there, even now, the traffic is comparable to what it would have been like then. A busy way of passing by. There's a bus depot right below Gordon's Calvary. And the point was that people, wherever the Romans crucified people, they did it in a public place. Just like the hangings out, out in the Old West, you know. It was for a public display so that it would strike fear in people. But this was quite a sight and quite an execution because, and it wasn't an execution for Christ, it was His willing sacrifice. But 
typically speaking, it's an execution that was the most grueling one they could think of for that time. Because it was basically slow suffocation. Hanging on the cross, after a while, after time, they, they just needed to use their legs to get just one more breath. And then again, one more breath. And that's why they broke the legs of the other two men being crucified. Why? They wanted to hurry up the process. They didn't break the legs of Jesus because why? He was already dead. The Roman soldier thrust the spear up into his side, up under the, into his heart chamber, and out came blood and water flowing out. He's dead. His heart collapsed inside within him. So, it's something that we quickly pass over because we just, you know, that's hard to comprehend all that stuff. And then to add on it, oh, by the way, the wrath of God that he absorbed. On top of it all, the wrath of God. That's why he cried out, Father, why hast thou, why hast thou forsaken me? The wrath of God was poured out on the Son of God so that sin would be punished. Okay? That's all out of little verse 24. That a seed, a grain of wheat, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So... Remind yourself of that this week, Christian. If you're not a believer, if you do not claim to be a follower of Christ, then I, I plead with you to let that image speak to your heart. There is no one else who would give his life for your eternal soul. There's no one else that would do that. And there's no one, else, no one else that could do that. There might be someone that would lay down his life for you. You know, we've heard that in, in battle uh, stories. Soldiers laying down their lives for others. But this one, he laid down his life for the world. Because of your sin. Okay. And so... There's no greater sacrifice. Then thirdly, there's no greater demand. There's no greater demand. Look at verse 25 and 26. He takes this little story from nature, this truth, and then goes right into verse 25. Look at what he says. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So, there is no greater demand now The sacrifice has been given. No greater sacrifice. 
No greater purpose than the, than the glory of God. And now there's no greater demand. And it's an expectation of his followers. Of those who would follow him. So, here's the, the result, in a sense, of the great and glorious sacrifice of Christ. Here's the, the formula, if you will, to follow in your life, in your walk. If we love our life, we lose it. And if we, he who hates his life, and the condition is what? In this world, and there's a picture, my friend, of the, the whole thing of the, the nature of sin that still clings to your life. You know, we understand through salvation we are forgiven. But why don't we just, you know, have such a... Why isn't there an easier time? Because we struggle with sin. I'm a sinner still. I'm a forgiven sinner, but I still struggle with sin. And so do you. And so the emphasis is not you know, about here's six steps to freedom. You follow me? Follow along with me. He who loves his life is going to lose it. If you think in yourself that you've got the strength and you've got the gusto or whatever you want to call it to, to get over sin and to conquer sin, you're wrong. The point that we have here in John and the point that we have in um, in Ephesians and Colossians is that you don't have the inner strength in yourself. And so the call is come back to the cross. Come back to the cross. So, for instance, let me ask this just so we get kind of try and clear the air. Sometimes people think, well, what? Is, is verse 25 then a requirement for my salvation? I, I've got to, to be saved, I need to then hate my life in this world? No, it's not a requirement. This is the result of one's salvation. And what does it mean to really hate one's life in this world? You, you walk around, you know, like grumpy? I hate my life. I just hate it. That's kind of a, an exaggeration, isn't it? And, you know, as people, you know, we, we need to love one another, you know, and we have a, a dignity about being human beings. And it's not about hating yourself as a human being. It's not about hating yourself as a creation of God. It's about hating the sin in you. See, here's another thing that Swenson wants to do. Swenson wants to skip over verse 25 and jump to verse 26. Are you like me? You want to skip that verse? That's the tendency. I want to skip the idea of, oh, hating your life in this world. You'll keep it to eternal life because that gets tough. But verse 26, but if anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am there, my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. (laughs) But see, they go together. And we can't skip the first one to get to the second one. This, again, this is the outworking of the the salvation of God in Christ Jesus. 
that it would result in fruit in your life. And the fruit being, in this instance, hate sin. Recognize that as sin. And that's why Christ died. Okay? Let's not avoid these statements of Jesus where he says, If any man wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and come follow me. There's a lot of hard sayings of Jesus in the Gospels. And we conveniently kind of sidestep them. But see, there's a cost. That's what he's getting at here. I think it was C.S. Lewis. I think I have this note here. Listen to what C.S. Lewis wrote about this. C.S. Lewis said that Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time. I don't want so much of your money or your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self. I've come to kill it. You heard those words lately? No half measures are any good. And my kind of uh, summation here is that of what C.S. Lewis wrote is his intention, Christ's intention, then must be to come and take over. Not to share it with anyone. Remember the love of God? It's a jealous love, isn't it? The book of James tells us that God is a jealous God. And he doesn't want, you know, all the competitors that come knocking at the door of my heart. Oh, that it would be that I would look to him all the time when I hear that knocking on the door of my heart to let this little idol in or that little idol. Would we rather have the glorious experience on the mountaintop? Yeah, we lean towards that. But Christ calls you, Christian, me. He calls us as his followers to hate your life in this world defined by your sin nature. So it's much more about our need to Romans thirteen fourteen, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. Right? So, when Christ was lifted up to die on the cross, what all happened? Number one, He glorified God. Number two, He took your penalty that you deserved. I should have had that penalty. You should have had that penalty. And it was the wrath of God against sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He, God, made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So Christ brought about righteousness for those who would believe through His death. There's the the term that we use as justification. Justification means, we talked about this in our study in Romans, it's, it's a declaration by the judge. It's a declaration that you are righteous. Okay? Now, this whole concept of how we're moving about in life, it starts right here with this idea of I associate with, I 
identify with his death. I died in, on that cross also. You, Christian, you died on that cross also. And Romans chapter 6 tells us about this union. Okay? You've been baptized into the death of Christ. Meaning, you've been associated with, you've identified with him in his death. Okay? So, he glorified God in it. He took the penalty that was meant for you and I. Number three, he defeated sin and death at the cross. We are easily swayed off course from what is there for uh, forever. What's there forever is Christ dying on the cross. And we, we shift off to other uh, ways of trying to deal with problems. And we've got all sorts of books everywhere. Books, books, books on how to do this and how to do that. And Christian, it still comes back to your success in God's eyes is coming back to the foot of the cross. The more you get into the habit of doing that, the more you will grow and be strong and, and, ha- and deal with all the winds of adversity is getting into the habit of coming back to the, the cross. Okay? Christ died on the cross. I died there with Him. Look at Romans chapter 6. And we'll wind this up. I should say wind it down. I think I do get wound up quite a bit. I'm telling you, what I get wound up about, that there, it is, it's so true. We get into all these other alternative ways of help. Now, those are important in their place, but if you're neglecting being at the foot of the cross, something's wrong. So Romans chapter 6 tells us, Christian... Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who what? Died to sin. Past tense there. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into His death? Now, some get into the thinking that that word baptism means water baptism. We do not believe that that means water baptism. That means being put into the body of Christ. Salvation. You're baptized into Christ. There it is. And being baptized into Christ, you're baptized into His death. Okay? So, you keep reading through John, or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6, and you see in verse 6, look at verse 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. What did we tell you last week? We were saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin, and we will be saved from the presence of sin. That's the package of salvation. Okay? So... Your first line of defense against sin and the temptation therein is the cross. And that you died there, Christian. And so look at verse 11 in Romans 6. Look at what verse 11 says. Even so, 
because of all this, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count it this way. It's on your ledger in God's eyes. It's on your ledger. It's marked that way. It's accounted that way. So you reckon it that way. What do you do with your checkbook? You put that debt in there. You write that in. And you know, you don't see the money. But you see it on your little checkbook ledger. There it is. And you mark it that way. So then you go out and spend all that money because that's what the ledger says. You got all this money. <laughs> well, see, that's the similar idea in our Christian life. How is it marked in God's sight? Did God credit you with righteousness? Yes. And so you reckon it so that you're dead to sin. Okay? Now, Reckon it that way. Count it as being effective. Count it as being liberating for you. You don't have to go sin. You're free from that. Okay? And this is what will bring about glory to God in your life. Okay? See, there's the connection. Christ died. Gave greatest glory to God ever, 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 ever. You die, you give glory to God. You die, and you die to sin. You are dead to sin. It's just that we're not acting like it. All too much, we're dabbling in sin. Let's wrap it up with this. Let's stand up. Let's turn to Galatians 2.20. Let's stand together with following along with this reading. Okay? Before I read it, listen, this has been this has been following his footsteps up to the mountain. And to get there, we gotta go down. You gotta go down. You gotta die. And it's not just a past tense thing. Oh, I did that already. I did that already. No. It's today. You say, I'm dead to the sins. I'm dead to the, the pull of the flesh. I'm dead to that stuff. And next time you see a dead animal on the side of the road, just remember, that's, my, that's what I'm like to sin. I don't respond to it at all. Okay? This is my... Const Listen, this is my constant counsel. This is your... Christian, this is your constant counsel. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. In the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. You follow that pattern of truth. The seed has to die. And much fruit will come forth. What a great motivation, my friend. 
What a great motivation to go out today in the joy of the Lord and live for Him and give Him the glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that there is no greater purpose but to glorify You. And we thank You that there's no greater sacrifice than what Christ did at Calvary. And we thank You, Lord, that there's no greater demand but to give our lives for You, to die to ourselves and to live for Christ. And it results, Lord, that there's no greater joy in life now. There's no greater joy but to please You and to honor You. So, Lord, may we be offerings before You every day, dead to sin, but alive to You in Jesus Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.